Welcome to the Ars Equi Podcast, a series of discussions between legal researchers and experts on all things related to law and technology. And now, here are your podcast hosts. Hello, I'm Tima. Hi, I'm Paul. And as you know, we are currently in our series dealing with fake news. This episode is going to focus on fake news and the media. The media has always played an essential role in supporting the interests of people. And independent and free media is a vital part to any democracy. The media plays a key role in keeping elected officials in check and really acting as a checks and balances system in the, democra- in the democratic makeup. Yeah, so I looked at the fundamental rights basis of all of this. Uh, and again, like we also mentioned in the last episode, I looked at the European Convention of Human Rights and specifically Article 10, which uh, is on the freedom of expression and doesn't even like um, mention freedom of the press as a specific right. But uh, the court, the Strasbourg court, um, emphasizes that this is an important part of uh, the freedom of expression because it only... So media, for example, newspapers or even online media, um, lay down the or are prerequisite of uh, the spreading of information. Mm-hmm. So um, it emphasizes that and the role of the media as a public watchdog, um, but doesn't limit this um, term of the press or the media to newspapers or TV stations, but also to everyday people. So, for example, bloggers are also protected by the fundamental rights um, and by Article 10 and are even protected more uh, than everyday speech, um, which already is protected. Right. So this entire concept really boggles down to the right to report news or circulate opinion without censorship from the government. And, you know, personally, I grew up in South Africa And during the apartheid regime, the media was heavily censored by the apartheid government. There was a series of legislation put in place um, leading up to uh, what was the Publication Act of 1974. And essentially, the media was stifled, right? Reporters couldn't even report on events that happened that they witnessed with their own two eyes. Like, they were there, they saw that, because that wasn't allowed. So... They had to wait for the government to kind of give them this official press release. And that was what they had to use to make their reports. So seeing a historical context like that, where we can really see what censorship can do to a country and to a people, how do we now think about fake news and the media? And how does this whole concept and the active regulation of fake news, how does that affect the media, in your opinion? So from a European perspective, I think uh, it's more the flip side of fake news. So the accusation that somebody spreads fake news is the bigger danger than the fake news itself, Mm -hmm. possibly, um, simply because traditional sources of news, like newspapers uh, and, and TV and radio, are less likely to spread fake news than uh, just people on YouTube or bloggers and... Um, Facts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, there is uh, the vulnerability of media for censorship on the one hand. On the other hand, um, they aren't the core issue here. So um, this is more or less the, the 
problem or the feel of the problem that we're mm. in. I agree. So basically, the media has a two prong issue, right? Firstly, traditional media now is kind of under threat because of this whole concept of fake news because people are finding it more and more difficult to trust information that they receive because we're now so bombarded with information online. People are finding it difficult to know what is true, what is false, what what can we trust. So the media has that. Um, And then also the media has to now deal with the fact that in response to the growing amount of nonsense that is online, governments are regulating more strictly in this area. And that inevitably has a massive effect on the media, freedom of expression, freedom of the press, and how the media is able to go about doing what it does. Because it doesn't even stop at the point of like where the law outlaws something. But even before that, it has a chilling effect so that people might be afraid to speak out and... Um, might be afraid to uh, go to a newspaper and report something or journalists are afraid of the consequences when you report something even though it isn't uh, expressly forbidden but still the whole climate changes. Exactly. So then I think that leads me to my next topic which is how does the fake news regulation as we see it now how does that affect the media and freedom of the press? Yeah, you do have a to- uh, example for this, right? Yes, so I have a very a very um, unique kind of use case example with what's, with what's happening in Singapore. I mean, I'll start by saying I'm not an expert in Singapore, in the Singaporean legal framework or law, but I have been doing a little bit of research on this legislation um, called the Protection from Online Falsehood and Manipulation Act, or... POFMA. <laughs> um, so basically this act, um, we spoke about it in the last episode. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, you'll get more details about what the act is about and things like that. But the act essentially is the fake news le- legislation. So the government is trying to tackle the spread and of fake news online and tackle this by looking at the sources where this fake news comes from. So the act, what it does is it sets up an office which handles complaints of false news and issues orders to websites, outlets, social media platforms, news outlets to label content as false. So practically it will look something like this. Say um, uh, a journalist has posted something on Twitter and there's a link to an article and they've posted this post, whatever, and they've said what they've had to say. This office will then, I don't know what the procedure is for deciding what's fake news and what's not, but the office flags this post as fake news. Then what happens is Facebook is then contacted and Facebook has to um, put a notice at the bottom of the post or next to the post, basically saying that Facebook is legally required to tell viewers that the Singaporean government says this post is, has false information. And the way this works for news outlets is that, say, they publish something, the government can send them a correction notice and they have to then print this correction notice in conjunction with this article or whatever. And so it kind of creates a situation where, you know, a specific, a certain body, governmental body, is determining unilaterally what it deems to be false and what's not, and then 
the journalists themselves can only take up this matter in court after the fact. So after they've been issued the notice, after Facebook has put the little by the way, at the bottom of their post, after they've had to incur, you know, the public humiliation, you know, the questioning of whether they're legitimate source or not, and also the possibility of a $14,000 fine or a year in jail if they don't uphold or stick by this correction notice. Yeah, and then that's it. So it's, it's a difficult position and it's difficult and a lot of International organizations like Amnesty International have really been coming forward and saying that what's happening in Singapore is tantamount to censorship. Yeah, so when you said that there is the notice and you have to like correct this, it made me think of an instrument, a legal instrument that already exists, which is uh, kind of like a retraction of a statement, which uh, exists in many jurisdictions, so that somebody... Uh, who claims that a um, uh, certain fact about them in the newspaper is wrong, uh, can sue the newspaper and then a court decides whether this was true or false and then the uh, newspaper, for example, the media, has to um, issue a statement saying that this was false or this is the correction um, or an apology or whatever. Um, but this goes in a, a slow pro- process, so this can take months or even years. Um, this is a court deciding and not a executive authority mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's deciding after the fact and not like while this is happening exactly so in that case there's a there's a certain sense of due process mm-hmm. so it's the typical fashion that we would have a case right so I have a complaint against a publication that published something about me I bring an action against them Um, the court looks at the facts, we all bring our evidence, they produce their source for where they got this information from, the court makes a finding. If it's in my favor, I get an apology or a retraction or um, some compensation, whatever. But what's happening, what we see that's happening in Singapore and what might happen in other jurisdictions is that now the whole process is flipped on its head. So we start with the executive making a decision And then you're bound to that decision that the executive has made, unless you want to incur some consequences. And only after the fact do you have the right to recourse to go to court. So it's it's difficult, right, for news outlets in this day and age because they are really bearing the brunt of governments cracking down on fake news. And yeah, and they are bearing the risk of losing this procedure uh, instead of uh, if it were the other way around being the injured party who has to take the action and have to pay the money and have to bear the risks. Exactly. And they're also bearing this possibility that their journalistic integrity will be questioned in the court of public opinion. So if you're just scrolling down and you see that this news outlet constantly always gets, has to have these little tags at the bottom saying, the government thinks this is fake news, the government thinks this is fake news, that then, I guess, further polarizes people, pro-governmental people and non-pro-governmental people. So it creates kind of a the distinction that we have somewhat going on in the US where Trump is very anti, for example, the CNNs and you know other liberal quote-unquote news outlets. I think that's kind of what we might see more and more of that happening if this continues and if it's based on what the government deems to be fake news or not. Yeah, and the abuse of the system also kind of um, 
turns the whole system around it makes it useless essentially mm -hmm. because you, even then you don't know what fake or what is true and what is false after all exactly so it's like the audience is still getting manipulated further regardless of whether this news is fake or not it's it creates kind of this polarizing system that we're already seeing happening so yeah i mean i'll just give you an example of how the law in singapore has been applied in practice so in april 19th of this year um an independently owned news outlet um, reported on the salary of a CEO, the CEO of a state-owned entity, who also happens to be the wife of the prime minister. So, you know, we, we see, okay, so we can see how that can be murky waters. And they were hit with this correction notice citing that the figures that they posted were inaccurate. And so for that reason, they were issued with a correction notice. And failure to comply with this, like I said, carries a hefty fine and possible jail time. And in my research, I found that the same news outlet, had, this is the second correction notice that they've received under this, under this act. So, you know, it, it comes to a point where you can kind of see that there's a possibility. I'm not saying that that's what's happening in this case, but there is a possibility that certain news outlets could be unjustly, um, unjustly kind of, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, targeted right mm -hmm. so they could be unjustly targeted because of a certain stance that they hold against a certain government at a certain time yeah so uh, there even is a european case for this so this is hungary um now during uh the coronavirus crisis um essentially passed a law uh, against fake news during uh the time of a pandemic which could uh hinder the efforts by the government to, to fight the pandemic. Uh, and, and this is June 2020, so in like two or three months that this uh, law uh, has been passed, already a hundred people uh, were investigated for this, a uh, hundred journalists uh, for uh, this crime, and this can uh, lead to five years imprisonment. So this is uh, a high stakes uh, in, for fake news. Exactly. And like you said before, you know, with the chilling effect that might be created. Mm -hmm. So not that it only sanctions the, the um, news outlet or the media in what they report. It also makes it difficult for them to get people to bring news or information to them. So it also affects whistleblowers, for example. It also affects people who you know, bring the information to the reporters and the reporters put it out there. So it kind of, it has this double-edged effect where you affect the journalists, but you also affect their sources. And this all leads to the debate of uh, freedom of speech again and how the state has a duty to uh, protect, not only not prohibit this, but only also protect uh, freedom of speech. Mm. Um, and, and this is uh, potentially doing the complete opposite of this. Exactly. So... I think basically our question is, how do regulators balance this? How do they find a way to balance, you know, regulating fake news, which we can all agree is a problem and we can all agree that something has to be done on that aspect. But then we also all understand the importance of freedom of expression. We all understand the significance that the media has in democracies. And the question is, you know, how do how how do regulators even mm -hmm. begin to balance these two rights? I mean, the the classical approach to this is uh, to 
discern between facts and opinions, which sounds quite easy. You just say facts are everything that can be proven if, if it's tr that it's true or that it's false, and opinions uh, don't have any evidence you can like agree to disagree. Um, the problem with this is that uh, the line isn't as clear as you might think. Uh, for example, recently, and we'll talk about this more in the next episode uh, on platforms, is uh, Facebook saying they are not checking climate change deniers, um, so not fact-checking them, because this is um, an opinion and everybody is entitled to their opinion, uh, and this is why they don't need to fact-check. Mm. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's interesting. So, I mean, that's definitely something that we will explore to look at how do the platforms contribute to this whole entire landscape that we exist in. But yeah, so I think the moral of this podcast is really that um, viewers should be quite, maybe not concerned, but cautious about what approach their governments are taking to this. And to be quite critical in looking at fake news legislations that are proposed in your jurisdiction and, you know, what is your government's stance on this and how do you as a citizen fit into that stance, you know? So I think it's really important that we get more aware of the legislation that's happening around fake news and how does that affect our freedom of speech? How does that affect how we consume news? And what can we do as citizens in countries to make sure that our governments are making rules that don't negatively impede on our rights? Yeah, and also to critically think about what is labeled as fake news uh, and to, to think about who made this decision and what authority is behind them and, and what are their sources. Exactly. So if you scroll down your social media and you see these little tags saying Facebook is legally required to tell you that the government deems this to be false information, maybe don't take that at, at face value. You know, be critical about these things, be very aware of what's going on in the online space and just just be aware and be certain about what you're reading, where it comes from and who made the decision that this is reliable or not for you to consume. Yeah. So I think this was a good uh, conclusion to yeah. all of this. Um, thank you for listening to us. Uh, and I don't know if we have an outro. <laughs> <laughs> um, be sure to tune in to the next episode where we will be looking at platforms and the role that they play in the whole conversation about fake news. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ars Equi podcast. Check out our other podcast, Ars Boni, brought to you by the Department of Innovation and Digitalization in Law. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe and leave your comments down below. Thank you again and join us next time on the Ars Equi podcast.